time flies when you're having fun. And today, I've got a good mate of mine, Renny Matua. How's it going, mate? Sauce. Good to be here, mate. People see him on 360 and think he's this proper, like, <laughs> presenter, nerd, group. Yeah, real, real. He's one of the us. What do you sum up your job of form to? Rugby league wasn't a priority in my life. Do you think it was a missed opportunity by the club? Do you see what Penrith are doing now? Like, not too different to Canterbury back then when you think about it. Mm, oh. Big Mace, Willie Mason. <laughs> He's just unique, full stuff, isn't he? Hey? 100%. He would, he would kill man. me if I compared him to anyone that's playing the game now. I go to Russell Crowe's house to have for lunch, out on the finger wharf. It's fucking bizarre. It was the darkest three, four, five months. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Let's Trot Show, episode 18. Time flies when you're having fun, and today, I've got a good mate of mine, Renny Matua. How's it going, mate? Sauce. Good to be here, mate. Thanks for coming on. What's been happening? Not a lot, mate. I uh, had a massive training session this morning with our Greek mate, Braith Anasta. And, you know, I don't know why we do it, but we still think we need to compete. 41 years old, so the body's a bit sore today. Uh, besides that, mate, just back in the water surfing and started a cleaning company recently. Only a small, small company and... Um, Things are a little bit slow at the moment, but just how I like it. What kind of cleaning do you do? Industrial? Um, commercial, commercial, residential. You know, we're doing a few uh, builders cleans at the moment. Um, got some big clients coming up, which is pretty scary when they're $25 million houses. But, uh, you know, I'm enjoying the process. It's uh, Cleaning wasn't something I got into during footy. It mm. was uh, not long after a time. I didn't know what I was going to do. And a friend of mine who, who owns a, a fairly big company, a huge company, Australia-wide, offered me a, a managing role and I said, mate, I know nothing about cleaning. I can't even clean my own apartment. So <laughs> five years later, here I am and I'm starting my, I've started my own one. How's both going? <laughs> He's good. He's good. You know, he, I think he does about 10K a day walking along the promenade at Coogee. He loves the shirt off. He says uh, he's not looking for the paparazzi, but he's looking for him. He 100% he is. He's he always prepared. He's very prepared, but he's going well. Um, yeah, we hang out a fair bit. We live near each other. We've known each other since we are five years old, so we hang out a lot. I actually spoke to him yesterday. I did a bit of digging about you. <laughs> what have you got? <laughs> he actually didn't give up too much on you, but he did. Because he knows I've got dirt on him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right, which we might share a bit later. But I want to ask you this uh, this story uh, about when you were 18th man for New South Wales. Is there anything you could share no. on that? <laughs> it's not one of my proudest moments. Obviously, going into a New South Wales camp, you're... Um, you should be, you know, really excited and obviously 100%. Um, and I've always been a bit of a joker and and I've always liked to drink. And uh, I just happened to be out you know, in 2007 on a Sunday night, had a big one, come in on the Monday morning and obviously I'm trying to avoid all the coaches and the trainers. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, um, I can't hide my hangovers well and I don't think I was hiding it at all. And folks, he pulled me over and he said... Um, and he come over and I thought, oh, shit, they know something. I've done something the night before. I was probably, at, you know, I was at Ravisi's the day before. What a place. And uh, what a Sunday session. <laughs> <laughs> what a Sunday session, Ravisi's was. But anyway, and uh, he said, mate, you've got to go pack your bags. You're in the New South Wales camp. We're going to bring you in as 18th. They're bringing you in as 18th man. And I was so confused. I thought, holy shit. Like, I'm still cut. Like, I've only had a few hours sleep. I'm blind drunk. We get into camp. Marco merely... Andrew Ryan, um, Braith, they're all in camp. So we go to the movie, we get on a bus. I think I was rooming with Snake. 
Don't remember much because I was still pretty intoxicated. Room with snake too. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who's worse. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, we get into the movies. I've snuck up to the back of the cinema, just taken my shirt off and passed out. Next thing I know, I wake up. Willie Mason's over the top of me, just going, "Mate, pull your head in!" Like you're in an origin camp, and I'm just sweating bullets. Didn't know where it all was. <laughs> Um, and that was sort of the first sort of incident. But I think because I was so nervous, I, my, mm. my coping mechanism is to be a bit of a, a joker. And um, we're out at Stadium Australia and doing the captain's run and I'm just in awe of who's around and Danny Badiris gets the group in and, and says, you know, this real inspirational speech and he says, go and pick a, a spot on the – you know, find a, a patch of grass – and visualise what you're going to be doing in that moment in the game tomorrow. And I'm thinking, fuck, I'm not even playing. Like, what am I going to do? And uh, anyway, everyone's like, pitch, picks their spot on the grass. And I'm I'm looking around and I, I felt awkward. I didn't know what to do. Mm. So I went and s- sat in the grandstand. And the boys are looking over. I could see Brave looking over me just going, you fucking idiot. Just, you know, like pretend you're playing. Buy in. Just buy into the, to the experience and... You know, I think by that stage, I, I, my Bulldog teammates were like, fuck, Rand, you, you're taking the piss, mate. We're going into an origin game. And then even the, the you know, the two, the uh, the warm-up before the game and um, I, we, me and Braith, we've, like we've known each other since we were five, but we've always had this thing where when we're taking the piss out of someone, we'd always sort of stare over at each other and like we'll look and sort of gig someone. <laughs> but he's the worst. He does it to everyone. <laughs> no one's safe around him. He'll take the piss out of anyone. People see him on 360 and think he's this proper like <laughs> presenter. Nerd, yeah, real, real, he's one of the us. He's one of the boys, you know. 100%. 100%. And, um, and I just thought, oh, I've got to get this prick. And he's like trying to be real focused sitting in his locker and obviously when you're in the lockers you can only see what's directly in front of you and by that stage i wasn't playing no one got hurt in the in in the warm-up and i just kept doing like these sprints past his locker and high knees and butt kicks and (laughs) just trying to take the piss like just and he's laughing and he's like nah ran that's enough like stop we're about to play Origins. Did you get pulled up by the coaches at all? Or they really didn't pick no, up on No, I think that? they just thought, look at this weirdo. Like, we've already ruled him out. He's not playing. Look how, look how hard he's warming up. He's That's inspirational. He's there for the team. So it wasn't one of my proudest moments. But, you know, they probably tell the story a bit better. I probably left out a few things. But <laughs> we'll keep it PG. 100%. Did you end up winning that game? They didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I actually were on the bench and um, I had my phone. I was playing my phone. It might have been a bloody Nokia back then or 3210. Oh, yeah. And I remember the trainer looking at me like, mate, it's like, quite sweet. watch the game, you sweet. You're just mucking around on, on your phone. So, look, if you know me well enough, you know, I, I didn't really take footy that serious. But um, I love the game. Uh, just to be in the mix, you know, it was a huge sort of – accomplishments and it made me feel good mm. but it is the biggest regret of my career is not playing origin it still hurts this day did you get a chance to watch the super bowl last week i did um I, i've all, always sort of loosely watched the game and it's funny braith's been getting around in this chiefs oh, jersey right it's sickening. it's sickening and i'm thinking mate i've known you a long time all of a sudden you're an nfl fan yes. 
and it's purely because he watched that Netflix series and Mahomes was one of the oh, quarterbacks. Yeah. It was called quarterback. The quarterback, yep. I'm thinking, mate, you haven't been. You're just on the bandwagon here. I despise people like that. But he had a 49ers hat on the week before. No, he didn't. I swear to you. No, he I, didn't. I promise you, he had a 49ers hat on and then he had the Chiefs jersey on during the game. And he's had the Chiefs jersey on for a while, but I watched it. It was – um. I don't know the rules completely, but man, just with the way they, that's third and fourth quarter and, and, and the game was that Mahomes, like, uh, and I was saying to people from, from my limited understanding of the game, mm. I think you need a quarterback that's a running threat. True. Uh, Purdy didn't have that running game that Mahomes have, mm. um, but you know, it, what a spectacle. And I think the next game's in San Fran next year and I'd love to go, like I, I don't know much about the game, and it's probably that's probably kickstarted my interest in NFL. Well, you obviously love it. Oh, I'm sick. I love it. I it kickstarted for me when I um I joined the players like fantasy group um little comp. Yeah. And uh, obviously we all put in like a hundred bucks each, and all the boys thought they're going to just take my money, and I knew I was donating my money because I had no idea about the sport. Um, but that's when I my, my introduction to the sport, and I just love it. Absolutely love it. Like I'm pretty sure I read a stat that that Super Bowl was the most viewed Super Bowl of all time. Um. Off the back of a bit of Taylor Swift or the Swifties, I, th I think. But uh, I would have loved to go to Vegas. Vegas, like two, th think about that. Two weeks after, and NRL round one, we played in the exact same stadium as I, the Super, I, Super Bowl. I don't think I would have made it to round one. I don't if think I, I was there. <laughs> I've done two trips to Vegas, two three night trips to Vegas, and yeah, I don't think I'll ever go back. Uh, it's it's I'm surprised mate. I made it home. Brother, um, I know you're a bit of a sneaky head, sneaky head. We actually spoke about um, you getting your first pair of Jordans at the age of 11. So yeah. never know what's in there. But our friends from Shoe Grab, um, brother, have a dig in wow. that. Um, if you want to have a quick squeeze. Um, Jay's pretty generous. But Jay's told, me, Jay's told me a bit of a story. Um, when he first started Shoe Grab, you are one of his first ever customers. And uh, he, you really elevated Shoe Grab on the back of uh, yeah, you promoting Yeah, he rocked up it. to Belmore and. Um, just out of the back of the car and gave me a pair of shoes. And that was 2004. Oh, wow. How good. <laughs> Rock of them. Thanks, Jay. Thanks, <laughs> Shoe Grab. Thanks, Sauce. That's oh, unreal, man. man. That's outstanding. They'll be getting rocked this afternoon, I'm sure. <laughs> 100% they will. I want to go back to um, the topic of origin. Um, <laughs> obviously, you touched on being one of your biggest regrets in your career. Um, what... Do you sum up your drop of form too? Um, it's pretty simple. It was, it was uh, rugby league wasn't a priority in my life. It was, you know, from 2002, three, four, five, six, seven, because I was so dedicated and so focused, everything started just to happen for me. Uh, it was my first year at the club. I'm a Rabbitohs junior. Um, uh, they saw me as a flag player. We end up, playing reserve grade the whole year with Jonathan and Roy Asatasi and we had a stacked team, but we're all SG born fleet players. And back then reserve grade was a tough competition. Like it was, there was a lot of first graders you were playing against. You always played before the first grade game. Um, and we won the premiership and that was huge for me. Like I've just, I just came from South. Um, we had a rough year. I signed with Canterbury, you know, a, a well-established club with great players. I had, there was no, you know, so many good back rollers in front of me. We win the premiership in 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 reserve grade, huge buzz. 03, you know, we're just sort of building, building. 
04, I get the opportunity in first grade, mm. round one. Round one. Um, Glenn Hughes does his hamstring in, in uh, captain's run. They call me into the side. Again, I was 18th man and um, and then I didn't lose my spot for the rest of the year. So we win a premiership, 05, city country uh, and Australian prime ministers, 06, Australia, 07, get called into the origin squad. So there was... Massive rise in such a short period of time. Yeah, yeah, because I was dedicated and I was focused. Yeah, we drank and we partied, but we trained hard. Yeah. And um, I think uh, it was sort of yeah, maybe 07 where where the wheels sort of fell off a bit and rugby league became more of a chore. And uh, and ultimately down the track it, it led to worse things. But yeah. um, I, I, I didn't always like grow up like – just loving footy like it wasn't everything to me like I've always loved the surf and I've loved the beach culture I just could play and I don't know if that sounds eager like I've got an ego footy was your way out because like with your childhood like I was plumbing oh so look my 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 dad threw us I loved footy growing up like we we played from under four I was four when I was playing and you know right through made a few rep teams and stuff but when I got into my teenage years the beach was a priority for me. I wanted to surf. I wanted to chase girls. You know, rugby league, I'd been playing for so long and pushed so hard into it that I just wanted a break from it. And once I had a break from it, things were sort of getting a little bit out of control off the field for me. Like not anything heavy, but, you know, enough to get me in trouble and get um, in trouble with the law. But um, when I finished school... Dad said, "If you want to live on, under this roof, you got to you got to get a job." And I didn't know what I was going to do. I started a plumbing apprenticeship. Two years into the plumbing apprenticeship, I said, "This ain't for me. Mm. Why don't I just give footy another crack?" Because Braith was doing really well, um, and that's it was kind of a light bulb moment when I was sitting at a mate's house having a beer, eighteen years old. I thought, "Fuck, I can't do. This. Go back and play footy." So from eighteen to twenty four, twenty five, it was. Completely dedicated to the game, still a little bit loose, having a bit of fun, mm. but um, f- definitely got the rewards of my hard work. And um, that period was just incredible. Like yeah. there were so many highs, like grand final win, things that you know Australia. Um, so, so how many years were you a South Junior for? I left. Like were you overlooked initially? Um, oh, it's a funny look. Growing up, it was just Braith and I were the two. We were the rivals. He was the best for his club, you know, The and I was the best for mine. And we'd just compete. We'd play in each grand final uh, against each other. So we were sort of earmarked as the two kids coming through for South. Into the, and then when we had Matthew Shield tryouts, I tried out upper grade. I went up to the, to the grade above me, made the team. A parent complained that I was too young to be in the Matthew Shield squad. The coach, you know, rang mum and said, look, Ren's a year too young. We're going to we're gonna sit him out this year. He's, he'll be back with the Matthew Shield team next year. And that cut me and that really hurt me. And that, Especially as a kid, 100%. As, as a kid, you know, you don't like it. It's rejection. That, that sort of rejection's hard mm. and it's hard to take when you're a young fella. And um, I held a lot of resentment towards South for that. And when it came to Matthew Shield for my year, I said, no, I'm not playing. 
SG ball, they came back knocking, you know, tell, you know, we want Ren to come back, have a trial. I went back, I trial, I did the whole preseason. Right before round one, I pulled out again. I, I said, no, nah, I'm not playing. I just didn't want it. Yeah, you know, wow. by, I, I was fully Im- immersed in the beach culture by then. I just wanted to surf. I wanted to play up down the beach. Um, and then, so, so I think it's two years of ball. And then there was Fleg. And that was around the same time I was plumbing. I'd already left school. South weren't in the competition. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and Braith was a was was the catalyst for me coming back. He was doing well. He was, you know, labelled as the next Brad Fitline because I, even though we're really close, he was he motivated me to tr- try and want to do better. Like I thought, if Braith can do it, then I'm going to go challenge that position. That if he can do it, you know, we've competed our whole lives. Maybe I can do it. I love that. Um, and then I, there was no South team or no first grade. So I went back play for South. He rang the dogs. Mark Hughes came down and watched me play a game. And um, I just so happened to play a really good game that day. And um, by that afternoon or that week, we I played a game against the Sharks. Chris Anderson had rang my manager and said, here's $50,000. We want Rennie to come to Cronulla. This is playing flag with no first grade. Wow. Craig Coleman rings me. He says, Rennie, we've just come back in the competition $50,000, top 25. And I said, sorry, sorry, Tugger. Um, I've just signed with the Bulldogs for five grand. Yeah. So I knew that it was a decision I needed to make to get out of my comfort zone of mm. Maroubra. No beaches in Canterbury. No Melbourne. beaches out there. <laughs> and and uh, and it paid dividends in the end. You know, within th- – I won two premierships in, in three years, one in reserve grade and one in first grade. You first went to Canterbury in 2002 and that was when they got um, found guilty of breaching the salary cap. So what was the vibe like around the club at that at that time? Like you've just come from South, like you said, yeah. didn't know what you wanted, didn't yeah. know if rugby league was your was your passion and then the club you decide to go to, that happens. It was – so that team was so strong. Like you're looking at these first graders like in awe of them, you know. They, they, you got Darren Smith, uh, you know, Mace is obviously on the come uh, coming through, Travis Norton, Braith's doing well, Nigel Vungana, Willie Talau, Daryl Trindle. They were stacked. They were a great side. And we were never allowed to go into the first grade area and you never wanted to. But they were the leaders and, and I was looking out and thought, I made a good decision here coming to this club. Um and obviously winning 17 in a row. And back then, we would do first grade set. We'd, every, I don't know, a couple months, we'd do a session with the first grade squad and they would make you feel welcome and you'd compete with them to see where you are in Malcolm's and, and doing angles and coat hangers and stuff like that to see, get a gauge on the back row you were going to compete against at some point. Um, but bec- they were doing well and we were doing really well in reserve grade as well. So it was a great vibe. I like the that. whole year was great. You know, we uh, but we do these these five minute these sessions where the whole club would be. You'd have you know the whole first grade squad reserve and the extended reserve grade squad plus the rookie squad, and we'd all do massive sessions together, never mix it in. So you knew like uh, you'd always you'd all, almost already get an understanding of someone the way someone passes a ball or how you know they step off their left foot, they step off their right. You know, you you're watching these players, you're. You're on TV, but you're uh, also getting an understanding of the way they play. Mm. 
So um, it was a great decision. Obviously, getting stripped of the points, I wasn't part of that first grade squad. So mm. it was devastating for the for the players. Um, but we bounced back from it two years later. Do you think it was a missed opportunity by the club? Like, you see what Penrith are doing now, like with the players and the core group they have, that obviously have a young group of players and they've obviously matured over the years. Not too different to Canterbury back then when you think about it. Like, mm. you have guys like yourself, you know, all the big names, Sonny, Jono, uh, Royce Tarsi, um, you said Darren Tr- Darryl Trindle, you had Hazem still on the wing, Nigel Vangana, Willie Talao. Do you think it was a missed opportunity by the club? Look, to create our own dynasty, the own dynasty? Uh, look, I think um, we, we – well, 2 you know, they obviously lost their points and they were – They were runaway they favourites. They were building. Well, yeah. And they were building. We were still too young. But then you had 03, Roosters were just dusted them up and obviously Penrith won the grand final. Then 04, these sort of four Polynesian boys come along. Sonny Bill, Roy Asatasi. Willie Tonga, myself, and then you could say Jonathan as well. Um, and all of a sudden there was pressure on the first graders to keep their spot. Mm. And they didn't keep their spot. We trialled well and all of a sudden you had these four brown boys come into the side, Polynesian boys, all young, hungry, and it changed a little bit of a dynamic for the first grade side. They, you know, lost the points 0-2. Oh three to come up short, and then they had this this new fresh blood coming to the side. Oh four, and that's no disrespect to the players that were still there; they were still in the squad, but it might have been the the thing that they were missing. Man, I was a big doggy supporter growing up, massive, um, and I'm, I'm proud to tell you, I actually looked up to guys like yourself, Sonny, um, Jono, uh, Hasm, of course, and I feel that year in particular, like. You just said it, it changed the team, the culture of the club. But not only the club, but I feel like the game itself. I feel like there was characters now on the team, you know what I mean? You all had your own characteristics, your own mm. personalities. And I feel like that just strip fed throughout the NRL. Like you had Sonny Bill Williams on a fucking Pepsi commercial, you know what I mean? And yeah. you had you on every single girl's clipboard in my class. But <laughs> <laughs> cutouts of you. And um, like, do you feel like you, ha- you felt that culture shock? You felt like you had that strong influence when you debuted that year? Look, I, I, I didn't feel it at the time, but there's no doubt there was, you know, we, we brought a little bit of a different swag, you know, like we come, uh, we had similar upbringings. Yep. Myself, son, Willie Tonga, and even Mace, even though he's already established, Braith, we, like, but we grew up in the 90s. We, we grew up to Michael Jordan. We grew up to, to hip hop, you know, NWA, Tupac, Biggie, um, Whatever else, but we grew up in that. We idolized American, you know, America. So we always we carried that bit of a swag, you know. We wanted that. to. We had the the diamond earrings, the diamond, you know, chains. We drove the best cars. We just, we just, that's we had mullets like Beckham, you know what I mean? That we just wanted to look good, and we'll probably, well, Sonny and I definitely, <laughs> pro- and Brave were pretty boys, but we could back it up on the field too, and we didn't really just go out there to do that. We we wanted to. Stick with the trends. And, um, you know, Sonny had a bloody 68 Impala with white leather interior with hydraulic airbags, you know. <laughs> I'm just like... That's bad. Like, these were fun times, you know. And it, we did... We, uh, we we just fit into the team that was already established there. And, and you, you, guys like Marco Mealy and Corey Hughes, Tony Grimaldi, uh, uh, Shifty Sherwin, Hazem, 
Like they embraced you, it by the sounds of it. What not not so much embraced it, but we couldn't do anything without them. You know, they were they were the ones that kind of flew under the radars because we we're probably the ones with an ego trying to get ourselves in buddy go to a, the opening of a gate some charity event or do something you know like but um yeah it was a funny time it was a fun time we spent a lot of money that's for sure oh, i can't imagine i can imagine <laughs> obviously you had a championship side um i want to kind of compare some players from that team to the kind of modern day game yeah um first now first off the rank willie tonga who would you compare Ooh. to him wow it was very unique willie and i think he yeah. really had that step fend away he was the that, first that kind of step, with that. that that overs and then he yeah. could beat you on the inside yeah. but defend um man i don't think anyone should ever sleep on him that year i've watched these highlights like i was a fan he scored 17 tries in that that year he was a brian smith pretty much let him go and said he wouldn't make it in first grade and then we pick him up and he does that tom was special and he could defensively he yeah, could he's hit solid too um i, I don't know who who you could compare him to. I mean, Critter's sort of like the same height, build. Probably doesn't have the footwork, but probably definitely has the IQ the fend. as a as a center. The mm. fend, uh, athlete. Um, Pretty good comparison. Yeah. What about Rathen Astor, your mate? My mate. <laughs> Today. <laughs> I don't watch enough footage, yeah. of course. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Look, Braith, you know, um, Braith had a real high IQ for the game and he had a really good bullet pass. You'd tell him where you wanted it, where you wanted it, and he'd find you every time. And he, the combination he, he and Tong had, he was clutch too. Mm. Kick field goals, like under pressure. It's true. Um, he loved the blow up. Loved the Did blow he? up. Did he? Any that comes to mind? So back in our day, we were still doing video on VHS <laughs> and we'd all sit up in a, in a player's lounge and like if we were watching a video of a situation that happened and the ball went to Shifty Sherwin, you'd see Braith on the far side throw his hands up, blowing up, like, give me the fucking ball. It's just this little bit of healthy competition about who's going to do the clutch pay. Yeah. But um, uh, I don't know who you compare him to now. I, I just – the the – the modern halves aren't the same as what they used to be, and that's just the way the games develop and change. There's no knock on the players that are playing now. Yeah. So Adam Dewey, in a sense, I think Adam Dewey. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Big torpy. Big tall. Big big body. Yeah. Big long pass. Yeah. Good spiral. Yeah. Um, he comes to mind for me, but yeah, Braith is very unique. He's got a very yeah. unique uh, skill set. Same yep. with Willie. Um, yep. And the rest of the names that I mentioned now are going to be <laughs> even harder for you. Um, Big Mace, Willie Mason. <laughs> He's just unique full stuff, isn't he? Hey? He would, he would kill man. me if I compared him to anyone that's playing the game now. Man, and there is no there is no Willies these days. He could run 40 metres under five seconds. He could talk better than any other, any halfback. He'd take the piss out of everyone. He doesn't care. Good footwork. He could pass too for a, for a for big guy. Back then too, it was very Back rare. Back then, man, it was funny. Our whole forward pack would pass. Steve Folks used to make us do 100 passes each side before each training session. It was just a non-negotiable. But um, uh, Willie's unique. We'll go with that. Yeah. <laughs> Let's I, just hope, leave it. I hope there's never another Willie 
that comes along. Well, because I, I couldn't put up with two of them. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> oh my god, talk underwater. Yeah, uh, Sunny Bill Williams. Nah, so there's no there's no other Sunny. Yeah. Um, who's the? There's no other Sunny. Well, I, mean, I was actually thinking about this when I was writing down the, on the script. Like I was thinking Homali uh, Olukowatu from Manly mm-hmm. or Viliama Kikel. Those are the two that stand out for me. But then. I don't know. Yeah. I just feel like it's. Uh, Sonny I think was about Sonny. Special, yeah, he was man. special, man. Special, you know, six foot five, can do everything. Skillful, could hit. He's like, uh, he's um, even in the gym, man. Animal, animal. Like he would want to. We'd have like these little competitions in the gym. Like well, I'll beat you in a row in one minute, and he'd just take on anyone. Him and Ogre and Mace, they'd just compete. With no one around, there's no. It's just bragging rights amongst the group. Um, very professional. Would always be in the gym doing his extras. Like he was uh, skillful, fast, and unfortunately, in the first part of his career, he had a lot of injury and um, a few setbacks. But Didn't I don't know if you can compare anyone to him. Like he's just that. He was that perfect back rower build, you know. Was it a bit of a surprise for you when he kind of uh, packed his bags and left, like without giving anyone notice? He came and saw me the day before. There was only two of us that knew that he was going in the team. Well, he came over and knocked on my door and said, I, I've, "I'm out of here." And I said, "What do you mean?" He goes, "Oh, I've signed a deal over in French rugby." And for me, it was a shock. But what am I going to do? I'm going to support my mate. You know, you're going to be friends with people a lot longer than what your career is going to last in rugby league. So I supported him mm. and I understood why he left. Yeah, it was a tough situation he left us in. It was really hard for the group and the rest of the year we struggled. But Sonny was carrying the team himself all, all that year. Like we'd lost, I think, Willie in the preseason. Ogre had, had gone by then. We lost a lot of our 04 players and, and we were all struggling. And like for me, like as a fan, kid that idolized the Bulldogs, you know, yep. idolized players like yourself and yep. Sonny. And when he just up and left, like for me, I cut me hard. It cut I, everyone. I, yeah, it cut everyone. And But I could imagine as a teammate, it probably would have cut even harder because, you know, when you're taking the field together, yep. like that's the bloke that you're relying on and you mm. trust. And then for someone just to kind of leave, a teammate to leave, someone mm. that was close to you as well, like, Mm. It would have been a hard situation to deal with. Look, there was a lot of things in the background that I won't mention. No. And, and there's obviously, there's reasons why he did what he had to do. Um, and it's not for the general public to understand or, or know. But Sonny might not have done it the right way. But for the longevity of his career and for his own mental state, and he had to do it. And look what he's gone on to achieve, you know. He's won World Cups, look back, Super Rugby's, sure. another Premiership. If he had stayed and tried to carry the club through that dark period, then he would not have had all of those achievements. As a friend, I took it. I could take it. Oh, I thought, you yeah, look, you need to do this for you. Good luck. Still love you. Um, as a as a fan, or even other parts, even some of my other teammates that aren't weren't as close. Mm. I understand why they they still resent Sonny for doing it, but for me, like like I said, your friendship lasts a lot longer than your rugby league career. So 
I, I, it is what it is. And yeah, yeah it was hard. And, um, but he had to make a decision for himself and for his family and he made the right one. Definitely did, man. Definitely did. Lucky last. Rennie Matua. <laughs> Me? Jesus. Um, I wouldn't know, bro. Don't be modest. I wouldn't know. I'm Don't be modest. modest. If there's a guy that you... Humble. <laughs> um, man, I don't know. I, I, there's not many locks or back rollers going around that are 100 kilos either when you think about it. Yeah, look, I was a small back roll. Yeah, you definitely played up uh, a weight. Um, the thing that probably got me through is my, my IQ for the game and being able to play six, yeah. play center, play back row. Um, but there was like a period, like great birdie wasn't too big, but he could pass, you know. There was sort of those back rollers that had those five eight sort of skills. Mm -hmm. They weren't just that middle sort of forward, like getting through all that work. Um Bryce Carroll has similar kind of traits to you, I thought. Like, especially when he first hit the scene. Yeah. Very similar to you. Like, had a massive rise at a, a very young age. Had a few injuries along the way. Kind of set him back. And now he's really picking up from where he left off back yeah. at Parramatta. And can play half, you know, can play back row. Can play lock. You know, has the flick pass. Mm. So. I kind of was a little bit, you know, early in my career. Like, if Braith was out, play 5-8. Willie Tong is out, play centre. Um, Missed the fix it. Yeah, but I hated it. I was like, Fuck, just give me one spot. <laughs> I'm sick of getting moved around. I don't want to play 5'8". I don't have a kicking game. <laughs> I can't kick. Uh, the first time they, they, they put me at 5'8 was against Freddie. Freddie was my <gasps> idol. And we played him like – they'd already smacked us in the uh, round three. And then Braith got injured and they said, you got to play 5'8". I'm like, no, nah, it's Freddie. I'm not playing against Freddie. Put Jonathan there. Now nah, Thursday's out another week. I'm like, fuck's sake. But we got the win, so I got one up on him at five eight. I didn't kick the ball once, though. I would have shanked it. Willie, Willie I would pay to see that. No, oh, mate. Willie Tonga used to piss himself. He'd say, "Fuck, what are you gonna do if you get the ball in the fifth? I'm like, "Oh, fuck, I don't know. I'm just gonna roll it and hand it over." That's not healthy going to a yeah, game. Yeah, no, no. We used to, yeah. So, like, just getting shuffled around and playing that utility role, it became beneficial mm. um, uh, for me in the long. But when I didn't see it when I was early in my career because I just wanted that one jersey. I just wanted to play that one spot and that was the back row. So uh, let's wrap up. You had a great career at Canterbury. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and then you decided to move on to go to Cronulla. Um, it was obviously a bit of a short stint. Um, I'm, apologies if I'm opening up old wounds here, but mm. you end up getting uh, tested for the banned substance. Where were you at in that point in your time in your career and your life? Well, if you just rewind a fraction, I just got sacked from the dogs. And uh, that was the end of 08. And, yeah, I was I was spiralling bad. I was just on the piss. So I'd actually got to a point where I'd asked the club early in 2008. I sat the players down. I think there was like a little bit of a rumour mill going around that I wanted to leave the club. There was someone who photographed me. I took a photo as a joke in a South jersey and it got in the papers. Yeah. Um and I remember sitting the boys down and said, look, I love you boys too much. I just can't do this anymore. I need to leave. I'm going to ask for a release. I need to go fine. I need a fresh start. And the boys were like really supportive and said, no, nah, Rand, we want to keep you. You need to stay. So well, those things were already starting to, to, to sort of creep into my life. I knew I just, the footy was a chore. It was purely for me to pay my bills. I wasn't enjoying it. We're getting beat every week. An incident happened towards the end of the year going into 2009. 
um, pre-season. Mm. And I got sacked. By that stage, it was already halfway through the pre-season and uh, there was no clubs with no money. There was clubs that had no money. There was two clubs. There was South and there was the Sharks. I go to Russell Crowe's house to have for lunch out on the Finger Wharf. It was fucking bizarre. Oh, I can't believe it. I, I walk in, you know, he's got this huge spread on, out, you know, a few beers. He, he's, he's the gladiator. He, he gets his, we jump in his Phantom, we drive around Redfern. He's telling me, you know, close your eyes. What colour jersey do you have on? And I'm thinking, fuck, this is a bit weird, this situation. <laughs> and then I go to the Sharks meeting and Ricky Stewart says, come back to the Sharks and I'll give you a strange jersey back. So it was a fucking no-brainer oh. for me. Just go back to the Sharks. I get to the Sharks. Um... I think it might have been the first session and Ricky pulls me into the grandstand and he says, do you take drugs? And I said, yeah, yeah, I've taken, I take rec recreational drugs. Like, he goes, I'm glad you said that because well, I know you do, right? And um, he goes, just do this for me, just stay off the drink for a while until I say you can. And I did. And, um, you know, I'm, ve I'm very grateful for Ricky for giving me a chance and, and the Cronulla cl uh, Club, um, but I still hadn't fixed, like, I was still, like, my, I had one foot on the field, but the other foot was in a nightclub, you know. I just wanted to, Have I fun. loved the social scene. I just couldn't find the balance. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I um, I think it was about eight, four months in or I hadn't touched a drink. I might have had a couple of drinks here and there, but nothing major. And then we were going into a buy and we were struggling uh, at the Sharks. I just picked up like two or three players, players, and that means you know what it's like. It means a lot to you when you pick up a when your peers choose you to be, you know, the players' player. But we were struggling, and and you know, I remember Rick coming to me and saying, "Look, you're doing really well. I'm proud of you. Have a drink this weekend." And um, yeah, we had a team barbecue one night, and then I rolled in to the next night, and that's what I used to do. I just didn't have a stop button. I took, I got on it. Six days later, I get tested, and it's uh, what I whatever I took had been cut with mm. a steroid, mm. which is very uncommon. But I remember I wasn't meant to get tested that day, Fuck. and I walked past, and they said we need one more person. I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I remember the lady saying, "Geez, you're dehydrated today," and I knew I got on it, but I thought it's not going to be in my system, and um. Yeah, six days later, I got a phone call and I kept hanging up, hanging up, and I didn't believe it. And when they said the substance, I didn't. I had to go search what it was and I knew that I'd taken something the week before while I was partying and I'd rang my mum. I don't know why I was so paranoid about what was going on. I rang her off a, a public payphone and I said, Mum, this is the substance. And then she's, I'm on the phone and, and she's on like page nine of, of Google. And she said, have you taken recreational drugs? And I said, yeah. She goes, you effing idiot. They cut it into whatever you had, whatever you had. And that was it. Mm. And, um, you know, obviously I had to face the media and I think the next day I was on a plane to Bali. I just went, fuck, I'm out of here. Yeah. And it was almost a relief. It was a huge relief. Like it was really embarrassing for myself and my family. Like cut me bad that how 
much I disrespected my family, especially my dad. But it was a relief too. I was just like, fuck, thank God I'm out of the bubble of footy, you know. Um, as embarrassing as it was, I didn't have to worry about footy again for a while. And I think that's where players and athletes get themselves in trouble is because uh, they compete everything we do. If it's parting, obviously on the, f- on the field, mm. in the gym, we always have that compete element where we just want to keep on just competing, that constant competition. With, yeah. If it's drinking, if it's like, getting on the drugs. Yep. If it's, and, um, it's that all or nothing it, mentality, you know. Mm. And um, some people have got it in. Most people have it in control. Yeah. Uh, at that point in my life, you know, I felt like, you know, I was just loving the bright lights yeah. of outside of the game. You know, footy was just my job. And then when I'd go out, I'd be like, let's go. You know, like you get a lot of attention and, and the wrong attention as well. Yeah. But, but it was an escape from the pressure of the game. But as you well. know what? You didn't have the tools to know how to handle that. You think about the start of your career, right? Like you went from just being an apprentice plumber, mm. not really wanting to play rugby league. And yeah. then all of a sudden, two years later, yeah, you won a grand final. Like, yeah. But it's common sense too, Source. You know, like at some point, you know, I, I don't play that victim mentality where I say, oh you know i could have done you know these people were were bad influence on me and at the end of the day like i i knew deep down what i was doing regardless of how old or young i was Mm. like the individual makes a decision regardless it's true you you you're at that fork in a road you know if you need to go left it's going to end bad or you go right and that's the right way but you know it's just that split moment where you go no i'm going to go left just test the water and I went left too many times. True, a bit of true or false. Okay. True or false. All right. I need this. Okay. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I look stupid here, bro. Another half got you. All right. If you didn't become a footy player, you would have become a surfer. True. And what do you love surfing so much? Oh, mate, you know what? It's just you and the elements. It's Man. just you and the ocean and it scares the hell out of you. Um, it's... There's an old say, saying, only a surfer knows the feeling. And I tell you, when I go surf and I'm just out there with my mates having a laugh, there's no phones, mm. you're just competing amongst each other, you ride like a wave, there's no feeling like it. And uh, unfortunately, I was never good enough to probably make the tour. Johnny Sutton, your mate Sutto, surfs really good. Um, but yeah, for me, if I had the – if I could – had one choice to choose one sport and be and excel at it, it'd be surfing for sure. Not many Polynesian boys surfers. Nah, but I'm the only one that can swim. <laughs> <laughs> I was the only one. Oh, actually, Sonny. Sonny and I were the only two in the Bulldogs in the Marlins that could keep up with the white boys. No, brother, I was at, <laughs> the, I was at the back. Anyway. I've got no buoyancy whatsoever. Yeah. I swim like that on an angle, <laughs> man. My ass just wears me down. Nah, Sonny and I could swim, man. I was a lifeguard. Yeah, that's right. yeah, I heard yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I so was a, the two years where you were off? Yeah, was... the, the two years I was off because I grew up around the ocean. I grew up in the surf club. You know, I'd had my bronze medallion. Um, yeah, I just thought, what am I going to do? Like, it's two years out of the game. Yeah, yeah. Lifeguard, it's like, what do they do? Five, uh, they work seven-day fortnights, get paid decent, mm. be at the beach. Sounds like a dream. It's a dream. Did so, you did you hang out with like a bunch of the bra boys back then? Because you and Maruba and stuff like that. And I know Sato's got bra boys. You haven't done your research, uh, Source, have you? <laughs> I am a bra boy. I thought, there you go. <laughs> no, I was waiting for you to bring no, it out. No, no. Yeah, look, I um, there's there's a lot of 
There's a bit of a stereotype pub. around. A, yeah, but don't get me wrong. There's there's a lot of bra boys that are criminals and that give everyone else a bad name. Um, for me, growing up in Maroubra and Sato is the way I see it is that my mum and dad always knew where I was, and I was at the beach, and I was surfing, I was in the water. Yeah, we we're playing up and, and having a bit of fun, and it was a, a big community. Uh, uh, I got my tattoo when I was 17. I got asked by the older boys. It was kind of a, a respect thing and it was just the way it was that if they, if you showed if you showed good character and you're a stand-up person and you were good within your community, it wasn't like you had to go rob an old lady or go on shoplift or stand over someone to get this tattoo. Mm. It was if you showed promise that you were a good person you got asked by the older boys to get the tattoo and it was an honour back then, you know. It was a lot's changed over the years and, you know, Sato obviously has his one and uh, there's a lot of us. I don't get along with everyone. Uh, there's guys that I wouldn't even speak to that have railway tattoos but my core group of mates, I, I couldn't speak highly enough of, about them. True or false, the 20, 2004 NRL Bulldogs fall pack was the greatest fall pack ever assembled, in your opinion. True or false? Greatest. Oh, I'm being biased. Of course, of course, I'm going to say yeah. Well, I'm gonna, uh, I'm trying to think as well. Like I feel like it'd be very hard to kind of rival. I think about the the 2000 Broncos pack. Yeah. So you got Webke, Petro, yeah. uh, Gordon, Gordy, Carlo, Carol? Tony Carroll. Carroll. Mate, that was. And I played against him in 04 and that was my first – and I thought, holy fuck, these blokes are huge. Webke coming off the back fence, hitting Petro was like hitting Granite. Uh, I think who was playing nine then? I don't know if Barrow was playing nine there, but he was uh, gaudy, like animals. Uh, Tunza, you wouldn't run straight at Tunza. Like that was a pack, you know. So, um, yeah, I think there's an argument for them. Tony Carroll – uh, he dropped out of the the Aussie side and then you eventually took his place, wasn't it? Yeah, well, <laughs> I got a phone call saying I was in the Australian team and um, we sat around the radio, I was with friends and they named the side and I wasn't in the team and I thought, hang on, I've just asked people to come over. You told me in the third, Ricky Shaw to rang up um, mum, or not mum, uh, the Bulldogs. And then the next day, Tunza pulls out with injury, so... Well, he got picked over me and they rang up and said, look, we've gone for Tony Carroll over you. And I thought, how can I, how can I be upset at that? Yeah. Tony Carroll getting picked over me and um, he pulled out the next day with injury and I got my start. How good's that? How good's that? All right, lucky last, true or false, Penrith Panthers do a full peak in 2024. True. I can't back against them. Yeah, I can't either. I was looking at the ladder the other day and I... I look at the Broncos and you can't tell me they're a better side than they were last year with the loss of Herbie Farnworth, Flegler, gone to, both of them gone to the Dolphins. So and I look at Penrith like, yeah, they, they've lost Critter, but they've got poor Alamotti, Alamotti who was like touted to be one of the best schoolboys coming through. And, yep. and then they get Taylor May back as well. So it's just when you've, got, when you've built a, a squad and a, and a culture and a club so well, that you can just bring people in Correct. and they fit in well. Just do your job. You don't, you know, losing critter is huge, but you don't need to come in and be a critter. Yeah. Just do your job. When you've got Cleary and those two front rowers, Yo in the middle, um, 
they're just relentless mm. and they're, they're a new form of Melbourne. So I went and watched them live and I don't watch a whole lot of footy and I thought I couldn't believe how much they would compete on both sides of the ball, offence and defence. Mm. They, Their line speed, their kick chase, their marker D and they genuinely wanted to tear you apart every single tackle. Yeah. They'd pile in, put you on your back. You had to work for it. With the ball, the way they'd fight to play the ball. Like these are just little one percent, one uh, little intricate parts of the game. Not everyone recognises it, but when I watched it live, I thought, "Man, these this team's special." And that was three years ago. Uh, that's the problem, but with other teams, right? So like they the little things, but add up all those little things together, you're obviously going to get a big, big Absolutely. difference. And like your marker play, like you said, your line speed, your kick chase, like. They will be happily happy to just do five hit ups coming out of yardage and just kick to a corner and just put the pressure back on the other team and, and just e bash the shit out of them. Everyone's on board. Mm. They're just this well oiled machine and they just wait and wait and wait until you crack and tear you apart. And I think that's the hardest thing for anyone in the competition is to be able to go eighty minutes with Penrith. Um, I think that the you know Brisbane might be a seventy minute team. Mm. South might be a sixty five minute team. A question, like it kills me to say it, but I'm a bit worried about South. I'm going to be completely honest. Um, yeah, they got the stars. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And they should be hungrier than ever coming into this season. Um, but I feel like it's a bit of a danger year for them. I feel Campbell Graham's a big loss, massive, yeah, huge loss. Yeah, massive loss. I, I, when I was playing there, he had the the niggly sternum issue back mm. then. So to the point, to, to, yeah, it's uh, Cody's. Cody's like, you know, when you watch teams, you've got your favourite player. Mm. And I'm not a South supporter. I'm a Bulldog. Like, I'm a South junior. I follow him. Yeah. Cody's my favourite player. Yeah. Him and Munster are the, my two favourite players because they play off the cuff. Mm. They play that backyard style of footy. Mm. I love watching them play. Cody's getting a little bit older now. Um, what's the halfback's name? Lachlan, Lachlan Ilias. Lockie's got a, a little bit of pressure on him. He, mm. I think he might have uh, got dropped maybe at the back end of yeah. last year. There was a bit of you know, pressure in the papers and stuff like that. They're under huge pressure. Um, Latrell, under pressure. Um, but if it's anyone that can beat Penrith, it's ours. Yeah. You know, they've got that healthy uh, competition, that rivalry. But Penrith, I think they're going to be hard to beat again. All right, about um, about you now, back to you. Um, again, back to opening up some old wounds and kind yep. of towards the back end of your career, you kind of really struggled with uh, depression. Yeah. Um, it's public knowledge. You come out and you know you put your hand up, and I feel like it's pretty brave as well because I feel like not many footballers, you know, have the courage to do that. Mm. Uh, you know firsthand, it's not really easy to talk about your feelings and what no. you're going through, and you know if you feel like if you were to say something, it's just like oh, just deal mm. with it. You know what I mean? Mm. You're a, you're a big boy. Mm. You know what I mean? You're a footballer. Yep. Um, how did you feel towards the back end of your career, and what led you to that? Uh, uh, during the two year ban, um, the first year I was really off the rails, like dangerously off the rails, partying hard, hard. Like I just spent time in Bali. I was working as a lifeguard, but I was, I was spiraling mm. even worse. And, um, there was a few people that were close to me. That's, you know, things got back to me that I'd never make it back and, and things like that. And at that stage I was 29. There was a good chance there was stacked against me that I would ever make it back. And about a year into me going off the rails, I I was just working as a lifeguard and I got on the computer one day and I knew there were these camps in Thailand 
and I just came across Tiger Muay Thai. It wasn't just Muay Thai, it was boxing, jiu-jitsu, crossfit. And within a week or two, I, I just said, fuck it, I'm going. I'm going to go see what I'm made of. I want to see if I've still got the ability, the, com- the uh, competitive nature to come back and try and play NRL. And I went over there for four, five weeks. Mm. Trained six times a week. Uh, sorry, six days a week, twice a day. Uh, I was lucky enough to get a couple of friends to come over with me as well. And that was all I needed. I came back, I rang Sam AU, but I said, find me a club. Find me a club ASAP. But I still had another 10 months. Originally, I was meant to go back to the dogs. Uh, that fell through. I flew down to Melbourne. I met with uh, Bellyache, um, Craig Bellamy, and he was unreal. He was, F this and F that. I don't care what you've done in the past. I like the way you play. I want you down in Melbourne. And I went and met with um, Parramatta and met with uh, Daniel Anderson. And at that stage, Melbourne was just a little bit too far. Mm -hmm. I was still a Sydney boy, had to be close to my family, to my friends. Even though Parramatta was probably the same distance technically, <laughs> you know, an hour flight that way or an hour and a half in the car. Uh, I chose Para and I, I'm forever grateful for Para for giving me that opportunity. Um, and, but what led to going to Parramatta? So I couldn't train with the team until the two year ban was up. Mm. Para would send out a trainer to me and he would give me the sessions that the, the guys were doing and I'd, obviously be on the clock and, and try and keep up with the times. And it was the darkest three, four, five months. Well, it was months before I could train with the team because mm. I was you were competing against yourself. Mm. Like I can't just ring up my mate and say, hey, come and run this 6K run with me and do a time trial because he doesn't play first grade. Like it was a really emotional, physically – draining period for me to get back to Parramatta and want to perform. I had this expectation. I want to do well. I want to do well. I want to prove everyone. I want to prove the world wrong. I was so dedicated, so focused to coming back. And I even had goals of trying to play origin and play for Australia. That's how, how determined I was, but I set the bar too high. And then when I got that opportunity to come back and train with Para, I was like two games in playing for Wentworthville. And then I get picked in the New South Wales res- residence team. I think, fuck, I've just played two reserve grade games and they want me to play New South Wales residence. And um, and that's when Steve Kearney said, look, I've deliberately kept you out of first grade, but I don't want you playing for New South Wales residence. I'll pick you back in first grade. And um, my first game back, Friday night against uh, the Broncos, Channel 9 game, I'm supposed to be coming off the bench Someone gets injured in captain's run. I'm playing 5-8. My first game back after two years. <laughs> I get into the Broncos. Um, well, but it was like I was built for that moment. Like it was like this is – I'm ready for this. This is what I'm meant to be doing. Um, we just got beat and and I visualised before. It sounds corny, but I, I don't visualise and do all that shit. But I won't – because I was staying in a hotel because going back to Maribu was too far – and I visualised before the game that I'd be in the paper the next day and there'd be a write-up about me being out for two years and playing well, blah, blah, blah. And there was. And I was really proud of myself. And then coming through to that back end of 
the year, even though we didn't have a good year, I was just proud of my achievements getting back on the field, playing for Para. And we go into the next year and it's just a, a bit of a disaster. Like we just really struggled 2012. Um, again, just we probably didn't have the cattle and, and, and that's when you, like the novelty of coming back sort of wear off. It was like, no, nah, I want to do well. I want the club to do well. Mm. 2012 doesn't go so well. And then 2013, Steve Kearney, they get rid of Steve Kearney. They're bringing in Ricky Stewart. Ricky Stewart was the coach I had at the Sharks when yep. I got in trouble. Yep. Rings me up. You know, where are you at? You know, I'm still disappointed about what you did to me at the Sharks, blah, blah, blah. I think it was, might have been touch and go. He wanted to get rid of me. I wasn't sure. I said, Ricky, look, you know, I was 31, 32 at the time, maybe 31. I was a lot older anyway. And, um, but then that just created a whole another level of pressure for me because mm. I wanted to do it for Ricky. Yeah. All right. You're going to be Ricky now. Yeah. I thought I've let him down in the past. Ricky's on board now. I just got to do it. You know, I'm do noticing, it if you don't mind me cutting you off there, I'm, I'm noticing that you wanted to prove everyone else wrong and R Ricky, especially the fans. Um, all that external pressure, but yourself. Yeah, you're right. It's funny you mention that because people say it to me all the time. You always, you're you're always trying to help people around you before you help yourself. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. It's weird that you just said that, but any, um, and I, my body was starting to break down. So the preseason was really, really hard, but because I wanted it so bad, I got to, I got to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And I wasn't like at the back of the fitness sessions, but I was, I was starting to creep back a little bit. And I thought, what's going on? So then we go into um, Christmas break. I fly back to Thailand to keep training, and obviously, obviously, that's I didn't take the break. I just wanted to keep. Oh, there's something wrong. I'm going to be fitter, get fitter, get fitter. By the time I came into after the break, like I was almost a mess. Like my body had broken down, and. Um, and I was starting to create a lot of doubt in my head. There was already doubt there. There was a few things going off, going on uh, with home life and stuff like that. But there was already create that day. You're not good enough. Your body's breaking down. You're letting Ricky down. You're letting everyone down. And then I get, we go into camp in Kiama, and uh, Ricky calls me in and says, "The whole team wants you to be captain." And I was like, "I don't want to be captain. I knew I couldn't be captain." And uh, he said, "Mate, you got to be the captain. You know, like the, your peers want you to be captain." I was. I knew I wasn't captain material and back and forth with stick. And I said, look, he ended up saying, look, I'll make Tim Manor and Jared Hayne your co-captains. That way it takes some pressure off you. And I said, yeah, that's great. So with the three of us, um, but my body just was not reacting the way it should. And then we play round one, we win, we beat the Warriors well. And then we play the dogs the week after. I think they beat us in uh, extra uh, by a field goal, and then every week we get worse and worse and worse. My body starts to break down more and more and more. Um, the pressure of the media starts to build, build more, and the I, drums and are beating. Drums are beating. I'm I'm a co-captain. I'm feeling that pressure. The noise starts getting loud in your head. Mm -hmm. um, then I started self-medicating, like I was taking painkillers. I was in pain, but not in that much pain. Then I'd start drinking. Just to block the noise out. And then it'd get heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And as the season get on, we get worse, worse, worse. My body feel uh my body just kept breaking down. Um 
I'd be in the dressing room, I'd either be the life of the party or I'd grab my bag, jump in my car and, and cry my way home. I'd just bawl. I didn't know what the fuck was going on. Just start crying all the time. I was like, what's what? I couldn't understand it. Then that white, white noise turns into you're useless, you're no good, you're, you know. All this shit just starts running through your head. You can't sleep. You're not sleeping. And um, and still self-medication. It was a perfect storm. Mm. It was a perfect storm. I felt like I was in this phone booth and I just couldn't get out. You know, it was just that Sydney bubble. Like it's in hindsight you look back and you think, fuck, how stupid was that part of your life? But what might seem trivial to you or, or I could be a fucking disaster for someone in their mind. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, and it was just – it was a game after Brisbane where we played up there and for some reason I came off the field, walked in the dressing room and just started crying. I didn't know what was going on. And I was so embarrassed for that. My teammates were coming in going, fuck, what's we only just lost. We're not having a great season, but – and I just couldn't stop. I don't know what it was. It was just like this floodgate just open of emotion just come pissing out of me. And I was so embarrassed for doing that in front of my teammates that I started drinking again. Drank right through the night, onto the plane. And I remember some of the players and staff looking over and going, That's not, you shouldn't be drinking. But I just did not give a fuck at that stage. Drank through to the next night. And then I, you know, I'd, I'd made a decision that I just wanted it to end. I had enough. You know, I just pain, just, I just wanted it to end. You know, I didn't think, um, it's just a situation that I was just sick of because this was going on for weeks and weeks and months and months. It was just this chipping away, chipping, chipping away, chipping away. Um, you know, thankfully after the event, you know, like a, the club found out and I, I had my family were really supportive. Um, the the worst thing was for, like the week after it when you're completely numb to the fact that you wanted to do something like that. It's mm. a scary situation to be in. You're thinking, I'm in no man's land here. Why mm. am I not regretting that, that situation? Mm. And it's scary thought. And then obviously you see psychiatrists and, and I've manipulated counsellors my whole career. Like whenever I got in trouble with the dogs, they go, go see that counsellor, tell them what they wanted to hear, I'll be back playing the next week. Uh, you go see that person, tell them what they wanted to hear, be back playing the next mm. week. Until I met this one psychiatrist and it just clicked. He just got it. I just like, this This bloke gets it. You know, and uh, you get medicated and stuff like that and then I was put into group therapy. Group therapy was the best thing I ever did. Um, to sit in a room with complete strangers and uh, and you start to realise how insignificant my problems were compared to these people. Mm. Um, and it became like this – it was there. It was great for me because then I became a person that wanted to sort of like be a bit of a leader in the group and understand uh, what they were going through and – but – Looking back, it was so long ago now, you know, and I can look back on things now and go, life's way harder now, you know. And when you're playing footy, you've got the world at your feet. But when you're growing up in a in a bubble 
of Sydney and you think that rugby league's everything and that everyone's talking about you and the fans, they go home and they talk about you, yeah. no one gives a fuck. Yeah. They watch a game, you lose, they might say something, they go home and they get on with their lives. But when you're caught up into that 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 bubble of NRL, you think that the whole that's the, your whole world and that everyone cares and you take things personally. That was for me anyway. So that was a you know, that was a period of my life that it's not I'm not proud of it. But um it is what it is, and that's how I felt at that time, and I couldn't break that cycle. It was just a, that something in my head I couldn't get rid of. Well, it's just—it's part of your story, really. Like it, yeah. for you to actually come out and speak about it is is extremely brave, brother. So mm. I commend you for that. And you know, like you definitely look back on and you you say to yourself now. Obviously, you just said it was a tough period. It's probably stupid that like mm. I was thinking that way, but mm. it's how you interpret things. It's how you like absorb things. Like yeah. you, like you said, being in a bubble, not only in Sydney, but being in a bubble of playing rugby league. Yeah. You know, you take the everything's just on a magnitude just so much higher. Like yeah. the opinion of yourself. Yeah. And I go back to you wanting to make everyone else happy but yourself. And I feel like mm. that's, that was a big reason why mm. it kind of led you led you to that point. Mm. Um, I've done that a lot, Source, especially in a. And it's bizarre you brought that up, bro, because I've always pushed people away from me that are close to me and always kept people that have no room in my life. I've given them more time than the people that are close to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I think I'm a, I'm, it's a, it's a, I'm a bit of a people pleaser too. I want everyone around me to have a good time. I can relate. Everyone to be safe. I can relate. Everyone yeah. to have fun. Hey, like it's just the way I am. But it has its... Uh, it's detrimental to your own health at times. So that was me. I still do it a little bit now, like, um, but that was, you know, definitely a period in my life where I just wanted to make sure everyone was good before I made sure I was good. So you retired and then what, you decided to take up boxing? (laughs) Yeah, I always, I love boxing. I I love it. I've always loved it and I thought, you just got to do the walk once. You got to jump in there once. That's you know, all it says. It's just the walkout, the, the adrenaline. Walk, you know, you go and train. You think you're a mad fighter. And you watch all the fights. Um, Billy Hussein come and saw me. Uh, I didn't know Billy, and he's just like, "Mate, we want you to headline a fight." But I was like, "What? No." So I end up was fighting out of Hurstville Civic Centre. Yeah. The eight weeks of training was the hardest thing I ever did. Hardest thing I met a punch bowl. Don't know anyone in the gym. I wasn't treated like a footballer. I was treated like a boxer. So, you know, obviously you feel like the eyes are on you and stuff like that and you've got to do the sparring sessions and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I found the eight weeks a lot harder than the actual fight, but it was the best experience. You know, I don't think I'll do it again. But just to have a walk out, you know, your friends and your family, you're under that pitch. Only you in there. You don't have 12 of your teammates in the, on the field with you. And... um yeah, it was fun. It was how, good. How does the feeling compare of running out to a grand final uh, to a boxing fight? I think, oh, the grand final, I, for some reason, I wasn't nervous. It was like, we've done it, you know? Like, you, you, you're walking out on the field. Yeah. It was just that same feeling. Like, I, I walked out to the ring, and I'm more, like, shy that the fact that people are staring at me. I'm just trying to get my head down and jump in the ring. But yeah. the nerves weren't there. It was, you know... It's just like we're running out on the field for for uh, and I knew I'd done the preparation, so um, no, it was a good experience. What track did you come out to? I couldn't <laughs> tell you. 
I think I came out to a bit of Samoan music or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's mad. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I, I think I, I remixed it into a, some hip hop song. It would have been Tupac or something like that. So what would you, what would, to wrap up the show, uh, what would you say you're getting up to now? I just want to – now that I'm 41, I'm 42 in June, I think if you get to a point – when I turned 40, I wasn't um, too concerned. 41, 42, I'm starting to think about my health, mm. my long-term health. I can see that on social media, you and Brave constantly training <laughs> with, your, with your shirts off. Yeah. He's got his shirt off. <laughs> I keep my shirt off. But you start to worry, you know, and you think, fuck, I'm not getting any younger, you know, and, and – um, just creating good habits again. Like I went through a period last year where I was working pretty hard and I was stressed and I didn't train as much. I didn't surf as much. So I'm just getting back into that routine. Just get the body moving. Cause I, I'm Polynesian, man. I like to sit on the couch and get Uber Eats and watch TV and stuff. So <laughs> if I'm going to do one. that, uh, I've got to be able to back it up with some training sessions. Well, brother, um, to our next segment, um, there's an envelope right there from our last guests, Adam Dewey, Alex Tor, and Jacob Karaz. Uh, open that up. It's a question tailored to you. I don't think they knew you were coming in today, so it could be anything. Jesus, this could be anything, mate. Is this a stitch up or what? <laughs> you know no, what it is. No, I don't know. I actually don't know. I actually don't know. That's, what, that's, the, that's the beauty of it. What's been the biggest challenge in life so far? Retirement, for sure. Um, I feel like I'm 10 years behind everyone that's in my life. I feel like um, I didn't know what an ABN was. Didn't know how to pay bills. Didn't know how to book flights. You know, that was all done for us. No, no. Uh, I don't know how to do my tax. You know, it's just this process of learning and learning that all my friends and family learned 10, 15 years ago. Uh, so it's it's the the hardest thing is finding your place in society now. Uh, and I'm well and truly uh, well and truly retired now and found, but I'm still learning. I'm still learning um, that the transition of um, retirement's been the biggest challenge for me for sure. I love that, brother. Well, uh, now you've got the privilege to write a question for our next guest. You've, brother, you've had quite the life so far, so I'm sure Jeez. you have some cracker questions for our next guest. Oh, and God. I don't know who it's going to be, so you're going to all have to find out soon. You got it? Almost there? Got deep? It. Deep question? Pretty deep. I like that. a little bit awkward. Awesome. Do you want to hear it? No, no, leave it. Leave it as a okay. surprise. I want, to, I want it to throw me off. Yeah, it might be a bit awkward for the guest, uh, unfortunately, but... We'll see where they toss up. How good. How good. Can't, can't even get it in. <laughs> she, that's what she said. That's what she said. <laughs> Where's the cash? 100. All righty. So what's in the future for you, brother? Um, you obviously said that you're doing the cleaning business. Uh, yeah. Do you have any passion to kind of get back, in, back into rugby league in some capacity, maybe coaching? Definitely not coaching. Just... Um, just get back watching it. So, so I, um, I didn't even watch Origin. Mm. Um, just had a few years where I just weren't as passionate uh, about the game and I just needed a break from it. You know, when you play for so long, it um, becomes boring. But mm. now that my, my, my nieces and my niece is a really good footballer, so is my nephew. Now they're getting a bit older. Um, maybe do a little bit of coaching for them, but 
just keeping an eye on the game, see the trend of the game, how it might have changed and, um, yeah, just get back into it, you know. Like it provided a, a great life for me um, and, and I, I do enjoy some of the – a lot of the players and what, where – how good our athletes they are. So getting back into the game, getting back into surfing, travelling. I want to travel. Fuck, me too. Um, so get overseas, a f- few surfing trips and – Mate, I'm content. I just want a simple life. I love that, brother. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. And maybe in your spare time, you can uh, teach me how to surf one day because I've never picked up a surfboard. But (laughs) you know what? I'm willing to give it a crack. (laughs) Anytime, brother. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thanks again, brother. Cheers.